0: You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it. And so if you are a pastor or a deacon or a volunteer who's working in a small town, uh, we don't just want to say we applaud you. We also want to say that we get it. We understand what it's like to live and minister in these communities, and we're excited each week to interview people who uh, fit that theme. I am your host, Joe Epley. And today I'm excited because we get to have a chance to have a recurring guest um, Pastor Paul Richardson from Licking, Missouri. And he joined us, uh, I believe, I can't remember when it was, but it was months ago on the podcast. And we had a great conversation about uh, just kind of second career pastoring and, and what it is to equip those who are jumping into ministry and how we, how you know, kind of the making of a leader. Um, but today... Uh, I, and I knew, I knew since that interview. I said, "Man, I want to get this guy back on here. It was just great to talk to, and we even developed a friendship from it." And so today, I'm excited to chat with him about uh, kind of rhythms of the rural church. You know what it looks like to walk through. Um, you know things like rest and work and the balance in between it all. And so uh, the first thing I want to say is, uh, Pastor Paul, how you doing, man? Man, we're doing good. It's uh, been a great summer, and uh, here
1: in our rural community. We are extra busy in the summer because when people are off, they're available, they have time to serve. So we are hammered down, but it's good.
0: Awesome. Well, that's good to hear, man. I, I think it's kind of opposite some churches. Some churches take a big br- breather in the summer and you're like, no, we're just gearing up.
1: Yeah, we are. We, and, and it is different. And each community is different. But for us, with a lot of school teachers and educators in our congregation, oh, it's sure. a time when we'll have opportunity to serve. And uh, so we really push hard in the summer and we, we grow through the summer, which is quite different. Well, that's exciting.
0: Well, yeah, uh, some of that is actually going to kind of tie into our topic today. uh, Cause I know that it was actually a a Facebook post you made that kind of inspired me, but, but the conversation today is really about rhythms of rest and work and, and what is both beneficial and kind of detrimental in our small town context to each of these things, because as, as we know that burnout's a huge problem. I mean this this we could do a whole podcast just on the statistics of what it looks like to to uh, walk through a community and and see rural pastors who are just overwhelmed. And so um so one thing I want to do today is just kind of dive into some of these topics. Now the first one is one that I personally struggle with. But it's a it's a buzzword and it's not just a buzzword, it's a biblical word, but so many people have talked about the concept of Sabbath, right? Yeah. And so I want us to maybe dive into this um, and, and and we'll start with you, and you can take in any direction you want. But but we're looking at you know is what are some of the hurdles to Sabbath? What what does it look like to take a Sabbath? How do we be practical and biblical? You know, and so take it wherever way where you want it. But let's hear about that.
1: Yeah, so Sabbath is something that I'm trying to practice, and I think practice is a is a appropriate term here. So you know, once again, my context been in the same town uh, twelve years was bi vocational. Now I'm full time at church. It's grown from 20 to 200, and so I'm learning how to protect myself to have appropriate rhythms at different stages of church leadership and church life. And what I'm noticing is that one, as I get older, I absolutely have to have a Sabbath. Two, as I grow in my relationship with Jesus, I feel the calling necessity to obey, you know, the fourth commandment. And so there's a lot of these challenges here that I'm personally dealing with, and there I say struggling with. So for hurdles for for someone like me, who is the only full-time staff with a growing congregation, great people, what are some of the hurdles? And some of them is one, it's the ever-present to-do list. You're never done. Sunday comes every week and it seems like the days in between Sundays get shorter and shorter and it comes every week. And so always something to do. I think, you know, talking blue collar, rural communities, such like that, we have this strong emphasis of doing over being. We find our value in what we accomplish and our productivity, which can make us successful in one respect, but it also causes us to emphasize perhaps building building programs or to-do lists, visible, tangible expressions of our workday versus What did you do today, pastor? Oh, I prayed and I worshiped and I read my Bible and I got ready for Sunday. That doesn't sound nearly as impressive as I mowed two acres of yard and we dug a ditch and we expanded the the gravel parking lot. You know, people are more impressed by that, especially in our rural communities. And so we emphasize doing over being. We value productivity over presence. I can't tell you how many times in my life, especially lately, that the phrase is it's a good pastoring day, but it's not a productive day. Meaning I was with people, Interesting. I had meetings, I had conversations that were good and necessary as a pastor, as a shepherd, but I was not productive, so to speak. I didn't get my list done. And so we value productivity over presence. I think most of us in rural churches, we have too much work and not enough help for different reasons we'll talk about here a little bit, but there's just too much yeah. to do and enough people to get it done. Um, we also struggle with this idea of delegation. Because many of us, maybe we have backgrounds in business, we have backgrounds in just life. And so we promote efficiency at the expense of involvement. Hmm. Because the reality of it is, even at a church my size, there are some things that I could do more efficiently by myself. Right. But that's not equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so a phrase of mine right now is is I'm valuing uh, involvement over efficiency. I could Hmm. do it with less people. But that's not the goal in the not-for-profit world or church world as compared to the business world. And right. then I think one of the struggles, and then I'll we can discuss some of these, is that yeah. for male pastors, uh, the church fulfills so many of our needs or our check boxes. So, for example, for me, the local church is my career and occupation. It's my calling I'm not from this town, so they become my family. It's my passion. It's my hobby. It's all of these things wrapped up in one, and that's dangerous. And so it leads to a lack of differentiation. I can't separate Pastor Paul from just Paul. Mm. And that's where one of my biggest struggles is, especially coming to a town, pastoring here. Everybody has met me because of my role as pastor. So there's, there's this lack of differentiation of where Pastor Paul begins and ends and just regular, ordinary Paul. And so
0: there's so many hurdles to Sabbath that eventually I think many of us just kind of give up. Right. And let's let's break these down. So uh, definitely responding to your to your first thought, you know, obviously the ever present to do list, that kind of emphasis on productivity. That is something that I think is because I think the hard part about a podcast like this is like to get on here as two pastors and say, yeah, let's talk about Sabbath and the need for it. I don't know that there's somebody out there, I've not met many people who will argue with me that like a Sabbath is necessary. And we can even go through some of these buzzwords about, you know, well, yeah, we want to value being with God versus doing. And I think nobody disagrees with me on that those should be their values. But where where we're seeing the largest disconnect is in the actual practice of these things, you know? And so, so I think it's just huge to talk about like, how, like, I, I don't even think we've begun to scratch the surface, you know, on the depth of how far this goes, right? On, on the depth of how much it's wired into our being, because truth be told, like, if it were as easy as saying, uh, here's a surface level choice of, you know, valuing productivity versus a surface level choice of valuing, you know, being with God. And yet, Still, minister after minister, week after week, season after season, we go to the to the rails I and mean, we just go crazy, you know, and we serve hard and we work hard. Um, and somehow our, our deeply held values are, are not being changed in a sense, you know, our, the deepest sense of ourselves is not being changed. And so how do we how do we start combating mentality, do you think?
1: You know, I think once again, so many of these words are buzzy and most people don't disagree with us. Hey, right. you need to take it. You need to be overdue. But when it comes down to actually setting a day apart, we think, oh, I can't afford to do that. But we can. We have to. So for example, for me, this the stage of season where I'm at, Fridays are my Sabbath. Right. And I'm using that language with my congregation. It's not a day off. It's Sabbath. This is this is the bare minimum that I need to keep pastoring because you know, here I am in my late 30s. I want to keep pastoring. I don't want to quit at 40 or 45 or 50 or 52. I I want to keep pastoring. So in order for me to do this, I need to be biblical. And the biblical model is to have a Sabbath day. For me, uh, that's obviously not Sunday. So Fridays are my Sabbath. And so I'm talking to that about my church and my church is like, okay, pastor, that's good. I think that's part of it. I think part of it is blue collar. We're like, well, we have to earn our keep. Yeah, we're earning our keep. Yeah, But that doesn't mean we have to work ourselves into the grave. And then the, the thing that I struggle with, and I was having conversations with some other very mature pastors, it's the struggle of guilt that we feel. Yeah. Because inevitably, 12 years of ministry, inevitably, those few times in my life where I took a vacation, a trip, or I turned off my phone. That's whenever I end up getting messages or having voicemails or missed calls that ended up being so-and-so died, so-and-so was in an accident. Yeah, there's crisis happening. There's always crisis happening, and there's always someone that's needing us. And so processing the guilt of taking a day, of Sabbathing, of taking family vacation, being unavailable or unreachable for a short period of time, I think many of us struggle with the guilt side of it. And that's something that I'm still grasping. Why do I feel guilty? And I think part of it has to go to the shepherding part. Part of it also has to go with, let's be honest, we at times think that we and not God are omnipotent or omnipresent or omniscient and that we're the only ones capable of hearing people's prayers or ministering to them at the hospital. And we just have to realize that the Lord created us with defined boundaries on purpose. We are not eternal. We have definite beginnings and ordained ends. God yeah. is the only one who is eternal, who does not. And so grasping with our mortality is part of this Sabbath thing. So as I was reflecting this weekend as I was teaching on Saturday for a school ministry and I had a few hours of driving, you know, I, I came to this realization that, you know, God created the heavens and the earth, you know, in six days and he rested on the Sabbath, but he did it because he wanted to. Yeah. He could have, in a moment or an instance, created it all and been fine but he purposefully created it in six days and he rested on the seventh setting a pattern for us because he could have done it in a moment.
0: I've been obsessed lately with the idea that pastors like, like we talk about our job is, you know, the ministry. This is, and in a lot of secular standards, people would associate you vocationally with this career, but I think we have to dive in. If we're really going to combat the rhythms of our life that are unhealthy, we kind of have to dive into the pastor existing as a model for others right? Because that's technically like what you just said, that account in Genesis. I was going to bring that up actually, because really God is modeling. It is something that he does not need. It's not a, a piece of rest that he built in because he was burnt out. He was saying, my job as supreme creator is to give you a model that I'm going to impose on myself so that you can have the same permission and freedom to impose that on yourself as well. And I think as a pastor, we have so much potential if we get it out of our heads, if we say, Hey, our job as pastor is not doers of ministry. It is to model health to other people. What does it look like to pastor efficiently, but not just that, what does it look like to be a Christian efficiently or, you know, effectively, not even efficiently, but like, and I think that goes with marriage. You know, if I constantly shove my kids to the side for the sake of others, well, then I am sending the message that our kids will constantly be shoved aside. And it's like, and if I'm skipping Sabbath, then I am constantly sending a message that it is okay to skip Sabbath as a Christian and follow God as the best of the best, not that we are the best, but like, that's how it can feel as a pastor is you're kind of this model of what it means. And so if we're not leaving room for that, you know? And so, so I don't know, that's big on my heart, but
1: no, that's absolutely right. And then if you think about where Sabbath is really taught upon, which is in the Israelite experience in, you know, in the Exodus, you know, slaves didn't have Sabbaths. They didn't have days off. They worked. And so some of the first corporate teachings that God gives through Moses to Israel is that as you're journeying from here to there and as you get to the promised land, you're going to model Sabbath. When all the land around you, when all the the Canaanites and them, when they do not model Sabbath and they ask you, why are you not working this day? Then in this moment, you appoint them to the divine creator who worked six days and he rested in complete rest on the seventh. Therefore, because he did that, we do that. And we're doing this so that we can show you this. So it was meant to be modeled, but over the decades, especially through like the church growth movement that we are sending, seeing, I think it's, I think it's falling apart at the moment. But that's sure. But as we've seen the church growth and we modeled efficiency over involvement yeah, and productivity kind over of an being of this industrial sense of church, there wasn't room for that, and there's not room right. for that in America. So what would happen if pastors? especially rural pastors, all of a sudden they weren't taking days off. They weren't, they just started taking Sabbaths and said, Hey guys, we're going to Sabbath and we're going to encourage you and teach you how to do this too. Would our churches be healthier? The, the data says yes. The data says yes. Um, people have to rest, live longer. Like, so.
0: Right. And I think that's hard too, because even going back to your point about the valuing the presence over the productivity, valuing the being over the doing, um, I I think of how much, because more and more, again, I, I keep, you know, I, I think we misread sometimes what these actions are for. Like, I think, because even, even, even at the start of this conversation, we talk a lot about Sabbath as a cure for burnout. But I don't think that was why it was invented. It wasn't, it wasn't, God didn't say this because he's like, man, I'm going to get burnt out. Like, he's God. And he's not saying, oh, you're going to get burnt out. But I think, I mean, you think of the world that came out of one, like you mentioned, slavery, huge thing. You never got a break. You always worked. And then in addition to that, um, you're talking about an agrarian society where food isn't always plentiful to take a, a day off from, let's say, the harvesting or the the, the planting and maintaining of crops is fear. I mean it's it's a lack of control in your own life. It's submitting yourselves to the power of God and his power over the natural world. And so more and more I think of Sabbath, you know, when I think of why, it's not so much oh am I going to break down? Am I going to, you know, not make it? It's more and more of going this is forcing me to be a different person to to for to not shy away from experiences that make me intrinsically uncomfortable. It's the reality check, right? It's the contemplating on mortality that you mentioned. And so when it comes to this, I just can't stress that enough that I think we've we're not even trying to avoid burnout anymore. We're just trying to get that experience week by week by week of saying, man, I'm going to limit myself and deal with that because it's going to make me a healthy person. In God's eyes, and shouldn't that be, you know, kind of the point? You know, sure. And and Sabbath is an expression of faith, just like
1: tithing is. It mm. doesn't make sense that through tithing we believe that the Lord blesses the ninety and we're able to do more with ninety percent than we ever could with a hundred. That doesn't make sense in in the fiduciary realm, but it makes sense in the faith realm. When you take that concept to Sabbath, when we cannot get all of our work done in seven but we take one of those off as a Sabbath and that we believe that because of God's enabling grace that we can do more in six than we ever can do in seven. That's a That's a public expression of faith. And maybe that's the direction we need to be going. We need to be emphasizing
0: this. Do you trust God enough that you'll believe that giving him one day will bless the other six? Right. And honestly, um, so let's do this before we move on to maybe a next topic. But let's say somebody's listening, because this is how I feel a lot with Sabbath, is it's it's easy to get a couple talking heads and saying, hey, here's the problem and why it's important and some of the theology. But like, let's say somebody tunes in and they say, man, I am not there. You know, I'm not at a Sabbath or I'm not good at this. Maybe, you know, you take your turn, I'll take mine. But how, how do how would you practically tell somebody? How do you tell somebody, hey, you're going to go from no Sabbath to a Sabbath? Are there steps in between they can take? What's the beginning of that journey look like? You know, so let's get practical. What are your thoughts?
1: True. Yeah, super practical.
0: And once again, kind of going back to the faith
1: analogy, um, I've heard people say, hey, you know, if you can't afford to tithe 10%, start with one or two, hmm. perhaps um, in this instance, maybe Sabbathing for half a day. But I think a lot of it comes down to that we live in a world where, at least for me, my calendar controls me. Yeah. And so if I put it on the calendar, like this podcast today, you and I put it on our calendars. And so True. that became the priority. We have to reach a point where we do take a step of hard faith where we say, I'm going to Sabbath on this day. Right. And it's scheduled. One, and it's scheduled. Number two, we have to be prepared for interruptions because I guarantee you that there will be interruptions. There will be people who all of a sudden need to or want to talk to the pastor who you know, hadn't wanted to in a long time being comfortable with saying no, those are all different guide rails. Um, Maybe, you know. I think Mark Batterson said uh, something to the effect of a change of pace and a change of place equals a change of perspective. Hmm. And so perhaps it's difficult to take, especially in small towns, it's hard for me to Sabbath or take a day off in my hometown because everywhere I go is my mission filled.
0: So perhaps
1: putting it down and whether with family or by yourself, whatever works best, but find just a, a place, just a little ways, doesn't have to be expensive. Go a little ways, go outside, do something different that tells you and your mind and your situation that, I mean, I'm just unavailable for a little bit. And uh, finding things that refuel us is important. Hmm. Um, not everybody recharges the same way, but really right. it comes down to, Joe, the hard step of, I've just got to put it on the schedule. I just That's have right. to put it on my calendar and I have to perhaps have conversations with staff, with uh, deacons. Whoever we might have around us to be like, hey, I need you to help me guard this. So right. keep me accountable. And so my board asks me regular, regularly, are you taking your Sabbath? Sure. And it's not punitive. It's just a, a point of accountability because they're concerned about my health, because they're concerned sure. about the health of the church. And so having people in our lives who are going to hold us accountable, doing ask those questions, and you know, there's, there's a myriad of ways to do this, but. We really also have to come down to the to um, the belief that this is necessary and right. it is good. It's not punishment. It's not punitive. This is necessary. It is good. The Lord blessed the day, and I want all that God has for me, even yeah. if that means that I work six days and I right. worship one.
0: Yeah, uh, those are those are great thoughts. I love that. I think uh, for me, when I think, hey, what does it practically look like to take a Sabbath? Um, the two areas that come to mind is is a lot of the the kind of practice of reflection that we maybe draw from certain traditions of our faith, uh, but also just kind of a conversation about phones. You know I, know, I know for me, like I like being on the grid. I just do like you look at my daily, you know, because now everything's got a screen tracker and I'm probably on my phone three to four hours a day of active screen time, you know, and, and I could make all sorts of excuses and say, well, Sometimes it's important things and meetings and I'm only on social media to connect with this person when realistically I'm like knee deep in 40 minutes of random videos and whatever, you know. But yeah. when I think of my phone, one of the things that I think could represent really a healthy thing, one, because we have to also remember that for a lot of us, we want to pretend that phones are not our addiction, but but they we kind of have to treat them by the same rules. Like, Like maybe not everybody, maybe not everyone's on yeah. here going, oh, that's me. But uh, if you're constantly connected, one of the things you can do is just to start to take an hour, say, hey, from six to seven, I'm not just going to turn my phone on silent. I'm going to turn it off, you know, or take off my my smartwatch that dings me, you know, because some people say, oh, I left my phone in the other room. It's like, well, no, take off your watch, too, you know, and, and maybe from there, maybe an hour, an evening, you know, becomes a really good building block to let you know that like because sometimes I think we just need to prove it like we just need to prove that when we take an hour, The world's not going to fall apart and that sounds like self-serving but i think that's where we're at sometimes you know and so so we go that route and maybe that turns into saying hey every friday evening actually i'm going to turn my phone off the whole time you know and then maybe eventually that goes hey friday or saturday or whatever date is my phone is off you know and people have alternative ways the second thing i think of a lot involves reflection one of the most frustrating things that i've gone through recently is uh and it sounds i mean it sounds weird to call this a frustrating thing but but i'm in transition right now like i've been asked to be the district youth director for the state of montana and so i'm moving away from my small town back to billings where i'm from which is again a town of about 150 you know thousand in the area and so it's it's a different world and i and i know that for me i was at a place in my life where i was prepared to be a pastor in this community in some capacity for the rest of my life i was i mean i was seatbelt on you know clocked in like ready to rock and uh, then the Lord shifts me. And I I had to have a moment where you reconcile with all the things you would have loved to see accomplished, all the changes you think could have been made, you know, all the things that are half done. And in the middle of this, I remember a day where I was absolutely panicking because I was like, you know, and it's prideful. But, you know, I was like, oh, man, is the church going to fall apart and what's not going to continue well? And is can this even survive? And the Lord stopped me in prayer. And he said, Joe, how old is this church? And I said, well, if I remember, you know, my buddy Bob, who's in his 80s and has been going to this church since he was a kid and kind of collects these stories. I said, well, you know, back in the 19, you know, 20s or whatever, and then the 1930s, you know, all this stuff. And, and he said, so if the church has survived this long without you, and you've only been here 10 years of its 100-year history, do you think that it'll be okay? And I just think that more and more and more, we need to learn as pastors what the church was before us. And some of you say, well, I'm in a church plan. I'm like, fine, but but a church you came out of. That church that you planted from had to survive without you. Mm-hmm. And like, these are important things to model. So those are my kind of practical thoughts of like, hey, spend time reflecting. And then also start to take small steps with your phone. If you have five social media apps, pick your least favorite one and just get rid of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like do some, do some practices there that can help encourage Sabbath. Sure. And I think it, uh, another practical
1: point, super quick, is the reality of that many of us hear the word Sabbath and we think, oh, that means sitting on the couch all day. But some of us aren't designed right. for that. And so for me, you know, most pastors, we are what they call thought workers. And so while we work very hard, a lot of it is spent in a chair or in the a car seat or in a meeting. And so we sit, we think all the time. And uh, one of the benefits is go do something physical. Yeah. You know, so it's not a it's not a ceasing from all activity, but it's a ceasing from our normal labor. And so for those of us who are thought workers, go do something physical. Go yeah. garden. Go paint the shed, go for a long walk. If, you know, if I'm talking to some of my people in church who are very physical workers, then for them, a Sabbath may just be ceasing from labor. So go reflect and, spend some time in your house and go sit on the porch, give your body permission to rest. We need to find something that is a, a change of pace that allows us to reach a different side or different perspective of our humanity. And so reflection, worship, Bible reading, but time with family. Uh, there's so many different things that we need to be doing in that lesson margin that God gave us. And so give you permission to do just don't be pastor. So, and so for, for a day.
0: Yeah. And uh, so one of the things that you had thrown in, there's a thought that I want to, I want to pause on is uh, you talked about the importance of doing fewer things. Well, right yeah. now, I'm going to let you dive into it and I want to respond, but like, but this, this concept I think is so important as we develop a healthy rhythm for what ministry needs to look like. So why don't you go ahead and lead us off on that? What do you mean by that? Why is it important to you?
1: Yeah. So often the temptation, especially in um, small towns is we feel like the church has to be able to do it all and do everything. So you have to have world-class children's ministry and youth ministry and a women's ministry and a role Rangers and a girls. And the next thing you know, You have all of these programs without the buildings, the infrastructure, or the people that other churches do. And we say, we think, oh, I can't do all those things, so I must be second rate. And the reality of it is is we end up spreading ourselves so thin that we're really not good at any one or two or three things. And so I think one of the things we have to do in ministry is give ourselves permission to know that we will not be the best at everything. Mm -hmm. There are certain things, certain personalities that we are able to do and that we need to really... Stay in that lane. We need to serve in that lane, uh, work in that lane, lean that lane. And then for other people, if someone in church has a great Wednesday night kids ministry and they've got 100 kids, come alongside them. Maybe support that. You know, for us, Vacation Bible School is really big in our town. We do not do it and we do not do it well. So we just encourage families to go participate in those churches who do it very, very well. And we bless them on the way. Um, And so we often spread ourselves out too thin. We don't do good. We know it. We're not doing the level of excellence we want. So that breeds frustration, which breeds discouragement. And so I really want to kind of encourage some of us to realize that, you know, our churches are not Seven Elevens. We don't have to provide everything at all times. So focus on a few things, invite people to focus on a few things and try to do them well and realize that you don't have to be all to everyone. Yeah. And so I think for me, I find blessing whenever I focus on a... F- few things really well, whether it's, you know, preaching, preaching is very important to us in our congregation, community involvement is very important. And so I try to really focus on those things and do them well. And it's kind of liberating when you don't do everything and your yeah. church doesn't do everything. And so I think part of it is just, we, we overprogram ourselves, especially for the size and the capacity we have. We're over we're overworked, and we're just kind of underwhelmed because we don't do anything really, really well Frustrated? Why is the church not growing? And we don't have to be everything. So
0: yeah, no, I love that. And honestly, just to you know, before I chime in with my thoughts on it, I just want to respond to that because man, like, I think so much that uh, if you ask a pastor, hey, what was this season of burnout? I would argue that that at least half the time you're going to find a pastor say something of the following story. Man, we had a great kids' ministry for year X, Y, and Z when such and such was here and they had a huge passion for it. And then that person moves away, but the church is used to having a good kids' program. And so they push it when the people who pushed it and had the passion are no longer there. Mm-hmm. And that is a struggle because you've had success in that area. But I think the nature of the rural church is that every couple of years you kind of got to reassess the chessboard you got to look at what pieces are left standing and go we're going to build around what we have not what we don't have i mean to to extend that metaphor further it would look really stupid if i played any strategy game let's take chess for example as if i had you know a queen a rook and a knight when in reality the rook and the knight had got knocked out last turn and somehow i'm i'm just with the queen left and like you have to play differently Based on the pieces on the board in front of you, you strategize differently. And so I think a lot, a ton of pastors could learn, and it's a hard choice. I don't want to underestimate that. It's a hard choice to take what's been your bread and butter and to maybe shut it down. But if you don't have the pieces, then you're just fighting uphill, you know?
1: Yeah. You know, so once again, kind of a side conversation is, is what's, what's better, a really, really bad children's ministry or just having the children in the sanctuary? Uh, yeah. And so I think we put way too much pressure on ourselves as pastors. Our job is hard enough. Our calling is yeah. difficult enough. And so we're not only managing other people's expectations, but we're managing our expectations. And oftentimes we are so much harder on ourselves than our people are. Yeah. And I think that's where that sense of guilt comes from. Yeah, we, we struggle with our own guilt, guilt of taking time off, guilt of saying no. Heaven help us if we said no. I said no right. to an opportunity last week, and it was a good opportunity. I, it was a good thing, but it w- it was landing on my Sabbath, and I knew that I needed to take that Sabbath.
0: Yeah, because so, it, even
1: because though it was we, an opportunity we, to go pray, become, right? yeah. And so in that moment, I I turned it down not because I want to turn it down, but because I needed that Sabbath, and I wanted to honor God in that moment. So it's managing our own expectations that are the hardest, I think, in many of our churches versus the expectations of the congregation.
0: And I think it's hard because you end up relying on the community more than maybe you're comfortable with. Like I've always thought that small towns presented a great opportunity to practice being the kingdom of God, because oftentimes it's out of necessity. Like, I mean, I'd be the first to tell you that I'm, I'm not just Pentecostal. I'm happy to be Pentecostal. I have very theologically grounded reasons why I am the way I am. And yet for many years in our community, the Baptists had a better kids program than we did. You know, and we had a better youth program than others. And like it it became like it's like you were saying earlier, like if you can't pick every lane, then maybe it's OK to lean. In. And you still want to do your homework. You don't want to send your kids right. to the Mormon church down the street and be like, ah, it's probably fine. You know, like it's just, you know, right. what I'm saying like you, you do want to try really hard to vet it. But there's a lot of co-collaboration, especially when you get a couple good ministers. I mean, I've been going out to lunch with a Baptist pastor for Uh, several years while i was in town and and he's just a joy to talk to and like sure i'm sure if we took deep into the weeds we might disagree on some theology but he's doing good work and he's trying you know and i'm like man we're probably going to major on the same things and i would feel confident letting you excel in the people you have and the strengths you have versus me trying to make a mockery of it by just doing this this half attempt that's not really going to pan out anyways right uh, so for me, though, before we move on from this question, the one thing I want to stress, and you mentioned it earlier, is we prioritize efficiency over involvement, right? That's one of the hurdles. Um, I was talking to a guy. He's at one of the larger churches in our state. You know, Montana has about, gosh, 10 even moderately big towns. And I'm not even going to say big places because they're not huge. But but uh, he's at a church that runs, gosh, probably 900 to 1,200, somewhere in there. And uh, and they run a ministry college, and so he told me one day. He said, "I've got," he said, "my job is hard." And I said, "Why is that?" And he said, "Well, I've got forty-two people that report to me, and sometimes I'll send twelve of them out to do things that take them six hours that I could have done alone in forty-five minutes." And and you could just tell the the it wasn't just like this stressed like angry. It was him acknowledging that he had a different goal intentionally. You know, he wasn't setting this program up to be like, oh, I'm going to get the most work done in my time. He was setting up to say involvement matters. You know, I thought of uh recently, again, even in the last year, I shifted out of the youth ministry role into an associate role in my church and had planned, obviously, until this this kind of call the Lord came to do the district youth director. I had planned on staying in this church for a long time. And so I figured my role would be associate. And so I'm handing it off. And And for a while, I was leading worship on Wednesday nights. I would lead worship at kids ministry. And then I would literally bust out of kids ministry about five minutes, you know, before the end of the sermon or whatever, or the activity. And I would run down to the youth center that's across town and I would go lead worship down there. And I was in the middle of doing kind of these, one of these sprints, you know, just back and forth and back and forth. And I'd done it for two or three weeks. And the Lord in the car, I started weeping because the Lord said uh, just what she said. He said, Joe, I called you to do uh, one thing well, not two things poorly. And it just, like, for my productive oriented soul, it was the biggest and most refreshing slap in the face I've ever gotten, because then I recognized, I was like, man, if I spend all my time flitting about, and pastors, this is the same thing, a lead pastor could be busy at their church every night of the week if they wanted to. But if I spend all my time flitting from place to place to place to place to place, well, then guess what I was doing? I was not engaging with the adults that came to our Wednesday night, and I was kind of robbing the kids when I would just bust down and try and go do the other thing. And on nights that I was supposed to lead worship at the youth group, I was robbing myself of valuable time with the students, the relational connections that were important to make ministry function because I was so intent on doing the most, you know? And so I would just challenge pastors. Like if you don't have, the, I mean, I guess to say it all this way, and then I'll, I'll throw it back to you. But if you don't have the people, then consider not doing it because flitting about and trying to do a million things is going to burn you out. And it's going to rob the joys of all those areas. And lean on the community, right? If, if other people are doing something well, let them do it. You know, that's that's a great way to st- establish a healthy rhythm. Any other thoughts from you on that, sir? We can also hit the next question as well if we want. I think one, you know, one final thing is it
1: comes yeah. down to it comes down to managing our expectations and what we expect of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Just because there's work to be done, because there's always kingdom work to be done. Just because there's kingdom work to be done doesn't mean we have to do it ourselves and and we have to be
0: okay with having a boundary that says
1: no i'm sorry
0: yeah well let's let's take this because uh we're kind of winding down on time frame here so this one intrigued me this was something that you threw in our text conversation and so you you mentioned that that because we all know these right there's plenty of books and seminars out there that have begun talking more and more and more about productivity and rest Uh, Obviously, famous title right now is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And we talk about the importance of Sabbath. I mean, I even think of the books that are coming out right now uh, by Pete Scazzaro, you know, kind of the emotionally healthy series, right? We have emotionally healthy leadership and spirituality and all these things. But you mentioned that at times as pastors, reading these books, attending these seminars can actually leave us feeling worse than we started. So tell me what you mean, and then let's talk about how to navigate a pastor through that.
1: Yeah, so uh, as you know, I'm a pretty big reader, so yeah, um, gone through a lot of books, especially on Sabbath. And there's some wonderful ones out there. One by Mark Buchanan, Robert Morris wrote one a couple years ago. There's one on burnout that's on my list by Sean Nevichek that I can't wait to to read or listen. But I just went through the ruthless elimination of hurry. Uh, John Mark Comer, that and then Carrie did a podcast with him, and you know he's yep, an yep. interesting writer. Uh, early 40s, pastor in a very large church out west. And so I remember just recently, I finished the book, listened to the podcast, and I find myself getting mad or frustrated. And here's okay. here's the reason why. His premise is correct. We need to, and there's a Dallas Willard quote, we need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. You know, yeah. I'm a Dallas Willard fan, John Orberg, all those guys. But here's what I end up dialoguing. Well, that's fine for him. He had a big church. He made good money. He lived in the city, you know, after he wrote the book, he tells that he got crazy busy because he was crazy successful. He's not leading a church right now. He's leading a not-for-profit. So he's out of the ministry realm, took a year long sabbatical or break from ministry. And all of those things become, they're, they're just impossible. I can't yeah. afford to take a year off. And because I can't to take a year off, I get frustrated and I say, well, that's for other people. I cannot do that in my life. So I end up dismissing some of the valid statements that John Mark Comer or Robert Morris or Sean Nemeczek or Kerry Newhoff or you know the list goes on that they are they're expounding on, and I think many of us who find ourselves you know in ministry, we dismiss the premise of taking time off, setting clear boundaries because there's other parts of that that's just not realistic, and we are realists. We're
0: all Americans.
1: We are realists. We are. Yeah, we're dealing with people. what's in front of
0: us. We're trying to. We figure don't it out. like.
1: Yeah, it's we don't. It's not the theological side of it. It's just the practical. I cannot afford to take time off. That's why Americans don't take their vacation days. Right. That's why we don't Sabbath. I can't afford to do it. And so I think one of the dangers is that we want to do well. We want to eliminate hurry from our lives. We want to take a day off. We want to practice Sabbath. But we hear of these instances from those guys and how they did it. And we say that can't ever work for me because I've got kids mm. at home or my church is too needy or I don't have staff or the list goes on. And we end up throwing away all of the valid argument. And so I think what's important for us is not merely to read a book by one of these authors, although we can learn much from them. Yeah, We must, we must settle in our hearts that this is God's plan for me. This mm. is God's design for me. And so I just simply need to get away with God and find out what does this look like for me to be Mm. obedient in this season? Yeah. Because for me, it looks different than it does for you, Joe, because you're in transition. You have kids at home. My wife and I uh, don't have children. And so when we go home at night, dude, it's, it's quiet. Like we don't have to play because it's quiet. So we have these differences, but we need to find out what does it look like for me to be obedient. to what God has called me to do. Mm. And, whether it's a Friday or it's a Monday or it's a Sunday evening, or it's a two nights a week, whatever you can get, what does it look like for me to be obedient and to not follow the advice of authors that we haven't met or from preachers, but what is the Lord calling me to do? Because hmm. I can't merely dismiss this because I can't do it. Like John's too Carton. important.
0: Yeah, It's, it's too, too
1: important. important. And he's not the one calling me to rest. Jesus is the one who's hmm. calling. Me to rest. I really love that. Wow. And so that's where I'm at because I'm, once again, I'm a big reader and I'm the practitioner guy who says, well, hey, that's not going to work for me. Right, right. Okay, Paul, what is going to work for me? Because it was Jesus who says, cast all of our cares upon him. Hmm. It's scripture that's calling me to this. It's the Holy Spirit of God who's calling me to rest here on this earth in preparation of that ultimate Sabbath rest Hmm. that we read about in scripture. So what does it look like for me to do that? And, uh, once again, read widely, read well, but at the end of the day, the only people asking me to truly Sabbath is the Lord. And he's saying yeah. that this day aside for me. So that that's what I mean by that, because we end up walking through these seminars. We end up walking with these books saying, well, I can't do it like that. So I might not even yeah. try. That's, yeah. that's not what we're being called to do.
0: Well, and I think, I think when we look at the term Sabbath, and this is kind of probably my, my closing thoughts, but I, I think of it in terms of, you know, why did Sabbath exist, right? The Lord would come walk in the garden with the man and the woman in the cool of the day. There was this relational aspect of Sabbath that was more than just about rest. It wasn't just, I'm being recharged. It really is I'm prioritizing a relationship. And and to use a metaphor that I think just, just goes right along with that picture you just painted. I mean, you and I are both married men, right? And so, uh, you know, so imagine, right, if... Uh, you know, if I wanted to take my wife out on the perfect date, if I wanted to carve out time for her, and I spent all my time reading books about what perfect dates were and asking other people in my life what perfect dates were, and, and and eventually, I set up this big thing. I did all this work, and I said, see, this is what's statistically proven to make you the happiest, and here's my wife going, I'm in relationship with you. Did you not think to just ask me, the one who is needing this relational time. And I and I again, it's it's almost like, yes, we can read the books, we study to show ourselves approved. We learn and glean from the body of Christ. But at the end of the day, what you're advocating and what I I second entirely is uh God is the object of our affection. It's his <laughs> day. And so if we're not spending time in prayer saying, God, what is rest for because it's not really just we're not asking the question, what's rest for me look like? Mm-hmm. We're saying, God, how do you want me to prioritize our relationship? yeah that's huge
1: yeah you know to perhaps put a book in on this a bit you know here we are servants of the most high king and the god who's called us to serve as a pastor is also the one who called us to take a sabbath day mm. same, and it same comes to the thing. same master same same one and by us being faithful to what god called us to do both in doing yep. and ceasing don't we think that his kingdom and his people will be healthier if we do it his way And that involves, and so it's a little bit liberating to say, you know what, the Lord gives me permission Mm. to, to cease my labor for one day, not just a command, but he's given me permission and invitation to cease and to let God be God. Because even when we cease labor, he does it. He does not grow weary. He does not grow cold. And so we need, we need to be able to be like, you know what? I have definite beginnings and ordained ends. The Lord is eternal. And so, you know what? It's okay for me to say no. It's okay for me to have boundaries. It's definitely okay for me to have a Sabbath day because that is ordained for me by my master, by my servant, by my God. And okay, that's all the permission I need hmm. is the Lord said, do it. And okay, because how many of us, you know, you were settled in your place of ministry. And then when the Lord called you and your family to go to Billings, you're like, okay, Lord, I'm yours. I will go. Yeah. We're willing to go to the, to the cities. We're willing We're to, to go do more to small to... places. We're willing to do whatever. We're willing to do more. So are we willing to do less in order to
0: bring God glory? I love that. Well, hey, uh, Pastor Paul, friend and fellow pastor, I appreciate you being on the podcast today, man. My privilege. Thanks, Joe. Awesome. Well, hey, from all of us at Rural Advancement, we hope that you find a good rhythm, find a, a good relationship with you and the Lord. And again, it is our goal every single week, not just to bring you content that speaks to the real Church, but is spoken by people who get it. And so whatever role you're doing and wherever you find yourself, I hope that you're encouraged. Uh, Feel free to spread the word about this podcast to pastors who may need it. Obviously, we're found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and and our website, ruraladvancement.com. But uh, ultimately, it's a a good old-fashioned word of mouth. And so if you know someone who could benefit from these conversations, reach out to them. Uh, I have been your host, Joe Epley. He has been Pastor Paul Richardson, and we will see you next week.